the Steve Poos Benson Podcast. It's good to come to you here on a beautiful early summer afternoon. In this episode, I want to continue my series on spiritual abuse. I've had some good feedback from some of you who heard uh, the first episode. And I want to continue today by interviewing Kathy Brown. Kathy is a member here at Columbine United Church. She and I have known each other uh, many years. She's my personal editor for my books and writing projects. Kathy has a compelling story about being raised in a conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist family. You know, many people are raised in such an environment, and you might wonder if this is indeed spiritual abuse. You know, I believe it is. Conservative, fundamental churches restrict, oppress, and manipulate people's spirituality, often children's spirituality, for their own theological ends. I think churches like this do considerable damage to people's lives. Many people, after being raised in such an environment, leave the church and never come back. I'm grateful that Kathy found the right people to help her recover from her early spiritual abuse, to discover a vibrant sense of God in the midst of her life. I'm glad that she came into my life. I'm glad that she found Columbine to help her begin to heal that spiritual abuse in the early stages of her life. So listen to Kathy's story. Maybe you have a similar story. If so, I hope that you recover a sense of your soul and the fullness of a life-giving God. All right, here's the interview. Please enjoy it. Put in your earbuds, go for a walk, uh, sit and listen, wash the dishes, but enjoy the interview. Hey, it's great to be here uh, with Kathy Brown. Kathy is a good friend of mine. She's my personal editor for the books that I have written. So Kathy and I have a long relationship. Kathy and I have known each other about 12 years. And Kathy, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Tell me, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and who you are. I was born and raised in Fort Collins. I'm 67 years old. I've been retired for four years, which has been absolutely delicious. Um, I'm a graduate of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. Um, I'm single, never married, but have had a lot of adventures in my life, jumping yeah, out of airplanes. You've had a ton of adventures. Go right. for it. You jumped out of airplanes. Uh, rafted the Grand Canyon, um, walked halfway across the United States, biked to the other half. Um, so I work to make my play work. Perfect. Yeah, you've had a lot of fun. You've had mm-hmm. some big adventures in your life. Well, you know, so the reasons why I wanted you on the um, podcast was because this is a whole series on spiritual abuse. And, it, and for me, when I've uh, listened to your story and, um, and what you grew up with, what you grew up in as a church, kind of your whole spirituality, your, kind of your church background, I keep on thinking about Kathy has really lived through what was spiritual abuse that, and for me, I define spiritual abuse as somebody in power manipulating the emotions and spirituality of somebody else to achieve their ends. That's what spiritual abuse is. And so the times that we've talked about your church upbringing, I remember you've, a couple times you've said it was a cult. It was like being raised in a cult. And so I want to hear your story. I, th- I want people to hear your story because I think that I want them to learn about your whole journey in your life and how you actually came to a place of spiritual freedom uh, where, pe- where you are celebrating your sense of spirituality in an open and free way. So uh, let's dive in. I need to sit up just a little closer to the microphone here so everybody can hear me. Um, uh, Kathy, tell, me about, tell us about your upbringing and the church that you went to. Well, first of all, my original upbringing, my grandmother was Christian scientist, 
which was a whole nother world. And so whenever you hurt yourself, she would say, oh, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. It's all in your mind. So that was my original experience with religion. Um, But then my mother joined a Baptist church and, um, excuse me, an Assembly of God church where they spoke in tongues. And that was a very, I had no idea what was going on. It was never explained, but we were there every time the doors were open. What does it mean, every time the doors are open? Um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Wednesday night prayer meetings, Sunday morning, Sunday school, Sunday school, uh, and, and then church. But then they wouldn't let my mother wear lipstick, so she changed and became a Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> because lipstick was important. So we joined a fairly large Baptist church. It's a conservative Baptist church, which is kind of based in Swedish Baptist. So it's very, very uh, fundamental evangelical. And we were there more than every time the doors were open. We, um, we went to Sunday morning, um, Sunday church, um, youth group, and then um, Wednesday night prayer meeting, and then a Christian girls organization, and on and on and on. So your whole life revolved around... Absolutely. Why was it so important for your parents that your whole life revolved around the church? Well, what was interesting is my father had no interest, and we kept praying for my father. Um, and we we had being your mom? My and mom, and, and well, every time there was an ev- evangelical meeting, he would get dragged to the church, and he never walked forward to accept oh, to, Christ. So a... Um, what, what, what are the, those gatherings? I can't even... What, what they, you mean like a revival. Revival. Right. 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 Every we, time there was a revival. We would have guest speakers come in, and they'd have people come forward and baptize them and all of that. And my dad would sit there being angry because he had gotten dragged to the church. Uh-huh. Finally, after about, oh, 15 years of that, he finally walked forward, the big walk forward to accept Christ as his personal Savior. And there was great rejoicing. Um, in my family, because that's what we'd been praying for for so long. Now, you said you described the church as being evangelical and fundamental. What does that mean? What does an evangelical, fundamental Baptist church look like? It is, they believe the Bible is literal. They, mm-hmm. there is no, it's absolutely written by the hand of God. Everything was spiritually induced, the, all the writers of all the books so no possibility of errors. We used the King James Version, which, of course, was the only correct version. You had to be, you had to recognize your sins, accept Christ as your personal Savior, and then to finish it off, you had to be baptized. And that was kind of like the finishing effect. Was there speaking in tongues? No, not in the Baptist church, but in the Assembly of God church, there was right. speaking in tongues. So when he said taking the Bible literally, there was like no women ordained, no women speaking in church, women were, men were the head of the household. Right. The, there was absolutely, women had no, well, the women were the deaconesses, the men were the deacons. The, mm-hmm. Only the men could be the deacons, but they had a deaconess committee because they knew that the women did all the work. Mm-hmm. And so we got a title, but um, no authority. I mean, even though there were different, let's say, stories of the creation in the Bible, in different, uh, different books of the Bible, and there were discrepancies. Oh, no, 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 you, you don't understand. And you just brushed those aside, and you weren't allowed to question any of the discrepancies in the Bible. But we, so what did you do when you were going to school and you were learning about, in high school, about science and 
and uh, the creation of the world and Darwin and mm -hmm. uh, theory of evolution. What would you do in compared to what you were being taught in school versus what you were taught in church? I remember when I was in fifth grade, they were teaching about <clears throat> where all the different languages came from. And I immediately raised my hand because I knew it was when the uh, Israelites were at the Tower of Babel and, and God made them all speak different languages. And that's where all the different languages came from. And my teachers draw, dropped and said, what do you mean? Of course, that's not where they came from. The Bible's not true. And that was kind of the first little niggling wake-up call of, what do you mean it's not true? Um, and that kind of started me thinking, I accepted all of this as absolute true, but there were people out there that said, of course you're wrong. It's, it's not right. What did you do with that? When you started hearing that juxtaposition as a kid, what did, did you just file that away? Did you bisect it into two parts of your life? I did a little bit of both. I, I filed it away because I thought, there's something out there I've missed. But uh -huh. I also started questioning. Well, you don't question in, in an evangelical church. You just take what the preacher says, who every Sunday night preached for 45 minutes to an hour, um, about the Bible, and you found many creative ways to quit listening after about 15 minutes. <laughs> but so it was, a, it was a man up front, a right. preacher, mm -hmm. and it was his word that was being directed to everybody as far as what was true and what was not true. Absolutely. But see, you know, one of the things when I think about spiritual abuse, a couple uh, podcasts ago, I did a whole introduction to this, and I said, you know, spiritual abuse usually comes from a male, comes from a man, somebody in charge, up front, who's going to dictate to everybody what it is that they believe in and how and how they're supposed to act. So it's not just from the Bible, but it's from that person's interpretation of the Bible mm -hmm. to people. Did you was that happening? Absolutely. And they the men claimed that and used that and of course they took all of the passages from the book of Paul saying the women shall be silent and the men are in charge and that was kind of, we were kind of beat over the head with that and that we hadn't we we had no knowledge, mm -hmm. um, and I thought that because I thought I was a reasonably intelligent person and that I would understand and I could lead a meeting or I could reply to something, but that wasn't allowed. The woman had to keep silent. What did they do? What did the elders of the church of the deacons of the church do with people who rebelled, who disagreed? Finally, they were driven out of the church because if if the person wasn't going to comply with what they thought was right, like if, oh, God forbid, they got a divorce or they sinned like they drank or played cards, um, they were basically ostracized and eventually left the church because they weren't playing by the rules, the the rules of the the deacons or the pastors. So that no drinking, no alcohol... No dancing, no cards. I mean, I'm just kind of going through no, the no, laundry yeah. list. A um, lot of no's of what you could. What about dress? Could, did you have to dress a certain way? Did not. Hmm. Well, we had to have, we couldn't have short skirts as women because that would um, be a, would guide the men in the wrong way. But um, not a lot of makeup and long enough skirts, but we didn't have to wear, we, we weren't looking like the Mormons, let's say. Mm -hmm. So you you had to dress pretty conservative. Correct. And that was dictated by the church? I did dress a conservative way? By the church, through my parents. Through your parents. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember um, growing up 
we there was a radio station in Denver called KIMN, and it was the the current rock station, and we were not allowed to listen to it. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my brother the other night, and he said, "Well, I listened to it all the time. I had a transistor radio, and I listened under the covers, but we, <laughs> but we weren't allowed to listen to it because that was evil." It was evil. Was there a lot that was considered evil in the in your church? I would say yes. You know, can't dance, can't smoke, can't chew, can't go to movies, can't play cards. And who dictated all these things? From the from the pulpit. From the guy up front. Right. The guy so, up front. Plus, I should explain that when I was in junior high, we had what's called pastor's class. And every Saturday morning for two years, in, when I was in junior high, we had to go to a pastor's class. It was two hours Saturday morning. We had to study. We had to do Bible verses. And it was all theology, dispensationalism, um, predestination. I, I could probably still do the chart, the timeline um, that we had to do. And then we graduated and we got a Bible. But we did that. So we were indoctrinated heavily for, for two summers. So tell me about high school. What did high school years look like for you in this church? Very involved in youth group because that was that was my social world because I couldn't go to dances. I didn't. Um, I had friends at school, but not not like the the people at my church. So all of your friend network had to come from the the youth group itself. Correct. Was there dating? Could you date? Um, I guess they could. I did not, mm-hmm. but. Um, there were there were couples, but not. It wasn't it wasn't bad or good. It, uh-huh. it just happened. Because mm-hmm. you know, I think again, this is what I was going back to spiritual abuse. I mean, there are certain things that churches do that spiritually abuse somebody. They spiritually abuse kids. They uh, limit their their or uh, dictate their dress what they can mm-hmm. and cannot look like. Mm-hmm. Uh, they limit their friends to the people that are within mm-hmm. the church. If you have to have a, if you're going to have a friend, it's going to be uh, approved by the people within the church, within the congregation. It's not just your parents have a strict code of mm-hmm. raising you, but they're raising you by the strict code of the church that is dictated by the pastor up front. Where does the pastor up front get his credentials? Oh, he he was a pastor from Minnesota. He had a Bible a degree in Bible. Um, he was ordained, in, not uh, not like the Presbyterian way, but he was Baptist. He was Baptist, conservative Baptist, okay. uh, which which is what they were called. Okay, and um, he was an older man. I guess he quite revered in the church that he came from. Mm-hmm. But as far as we were encouraged to keep our friends in the church, if if there were people that went to our church, young people, and. Um, had friends outside the church, they were considered wild because there was very much a sense of confinement or control. Or if you come to youth group, we can control you. But if you're, if you're out with your other friends, we don't know what you're, what's going on. And it's very important that we meet their standards mm-hmm. of having the right friends. Mm-hmm. And those friends would be, of course, from the church. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about, so you graduate, graduated from high school. What did you do? I went to a school called Moody Bible Institute. Um, we used to say where Bible is our middle name. It was, <laughs> uh, but it's, 
we, um, it was a three-year school. I was going to be a camp counselor or camp director, so I uh-huh. took the least spiritual thing I could take because I didn't really want to go to Moody, but it's tuition-free, and it's all my parents could afford. Plus, it was in Chicago, and I figured Chicago would be a cool place to hang out. Uh-huh. So we, I took sociology class. I took Bible, 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 um, learned how to—we had um, theology— um, everything to get you prepared. The, the main thing about Moody, and what's interesting, I still have nightmares about that 47 years later, going to Moody, because it was so restricting, so controlled. Um, we had to go to a Bible... Um, chapel. A chapel every day for half an hour. And I became very creative in ways to not go to chapel. Yeah. I, it, that was a period of my life when I was extremely passive-aggressive in how I was handling my spiritual beliefs because it was so false. Everybody was playing a game. They were so hypocritical. And How were they being hypocritical? Well, they were so, so spiritual and so good, but then they were having sex under the balcony in the, you know, and the attic of the, the big hall that we used to meet in, you know. And I'm thinking, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But then These are other students. Other students that are pastoral students, you know, they're going to be pastors. And, and you know, it's really <laughs> funny is that in some of these schools where there is so much uh, suppression of sexuality, mm-hmm. that it actually fosters a tremendous sexual out, um, mm-hmm. Uh, behavior by mm-hmm. the by the different kids. Mm-hmm. So you so you are. How do you feel about? So it was an oppressive time. Very oppressive, and I. Um, it was so disconcerting because I was questioned. I didn't have an answer because there was no way to reconcile what I had learned, what Moody was doing to me. As far as I mean, we had to get permission to wear pants to go to the park to play. Um, when we kneeled on the floor, our dress had to teach, try, touch the floor. Um, we had to be in at a certain time. We had study hours. Very, very, very restrictive. Now, this was in 1970, so it's been a few years ago. But I wouldn't be surprised if Moody was still that way. So, But what would you do when you were being taught all this Bible stuff and there were dinosaurs and, again, basic science that contradicted the Bible of one side and down the other? What do they? What does a place like Moody do with all that? They teach that the creation that they're wrong, that there weren't dinosaurs, and that they that, that there all, weren't dinosaurs. There were not dinosaurs. There was a creation. It was a literal seven days, and they were wrong. And at that point, I'm questioning so many things and saying this isn't right. And it, there were too many absolutes that didn't make sense. So is it? The whole faith was it kind of based around absolutes, like absolute truth. Absolutely, yes. What What would you say? Absolutely. What would you say <laughs> the absolute truths were that they they lived by? That the Bible was literal. Everything they said in the Bible was true. Jesus um, was the Son of God. There was the Trinity. Jesus died for our sins. If we accepted Jesus as our Savior, we would go to heaven. Uh, once we became a Christian, born again mm-hmm. Christian. There was nothing we could do to violate that, so we were all guaranteed to get into heaven, which I always kind of laughed at because it was like, that's kind of a free pass. That means I can do anything I want after I become a Christian because 
my sins are forgiven and thrown into the deepest sea and woohoo, let's go party. So it didn't make sense, but it was kind of like get out of jail free card. Mm-hmm. And people who didn't accept Jesus were going to hell. Going to hell. No, no ifs, ands, or buts. What did you feel about the people who were going to hell? That you know. Moody is uh, very much based a mission school. We have many famous missionaries that went to Moody, and I kept saying, "Well, what about the the Indian in Papua New Guinea who has never heard and will never hear?" And they said, "Well, if they really wanted to know Jesus would," and they expressed a need Jesus would provide a way for them to become a Christian and I said that can't that can't be I mean there's thousands of people before this and they're all going to hell and I never got a satisfactory answer Mm -hmm. so you go to Moody for three years Mm -hmm. what happens after you graduate from Moody came back to the real world and got a job um, lived in back in Fort Collins um, with it, in the area of my folks' home, um, went back to church, um, didn't, didn't fit well. Um, and then I moved to Denver to go to school, and I met um, my Sunday school teacher, who is now a person I share my house with. Um, I started going to her Sunday school, and it, she was totally radical, different. Mm-hmm. She still believed the Bible was literal, but there was more of God is love, um, Rather than the rules, it was who is God in my life, mm-hmm. and that made a big difference. But let me, can I tell you a couple stories oh, yeah. about my mother? Yeah. And what, because she's a very, very powerful person, or was. And um, she, there was one time when our pastor was in a horrible car accident, and David and I, my older brother and I, had to go and pray for him. So we were shut in the bedroom and we were supposed to pray. Well, after 15 minutes, we were done praying. And um, my mother came in and was very angry, and we were spanked because we weren't still praying for the pastor who was obviously mm-hmm. very, very injured. And I always look back on that and think, was us not praying make, making that much difference? You know. Mm-hmm. But her world was very tight and very closed, and we, we had to do what she said to, to be the good Christians. And there was kind of a a race amongst the five of us kids as to who could be most spiritual because then mom would like us best. But the other thing that I remember is my sister Linda was going to get married. My sister Janet got pregnant, and um, she was going to have the baby and give them. My sister Linda had said, we will take the baby. Um, My mother talked Janet into having an abortion because she would be up front in the wedding pregnant, and that wouldn't look good to the church. Your mother took her into having an abortion, but wouldn't abortion be an anathema to a fundamental conservative family? Absolutely. It was, it was so, it, it rocked everybody in the family because my, my mother, this great, strong, wonderful Christian who everybody in the church thought was just fabulous, was um, talked Janet into having an abortion. So I flew out to Minneapolis and walked through my sister. Walked wow. with my sister through the abortion. But wow. that was kind of the great cracks in the foundation of what Christianity, the, the falseness of mm-hmm. Christianity. Mm-hmm. So how old were you when all that was going on? Probably 25, 26. So you were out of Moody. Out of Moody and back home. Wow. 
And that's kind of when I started not going to church. And there was a period of time where I dropped out of church, dropped away from my family on the advice of my counselor and saw, did not go to church, did not see my family for six months. And during that time, many terrible things happened to the family, but I was separated from them. And, um, but it was the only way that I could break the barrier of the control of the, the Christian vice, let's say. So there was a Christian vice around your family, how the family was acting, the structure of right, the family, right. and the only way that you could break out of that was to completely leave. Completely. No contact of any time. And during that time, we had a best friend drowned in my parents' swimming pool. Um, my father lost his job. I mean, many, many things went wrong. But because of my counseling, he said, you got to hang in there. And hang in there, I mean, hang in there to, and leave? To, 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 to keep the break clean and get your act together before you can go and deal with what was going on. So that the, the, the Christianity that you grew up in was so oppressive that it was damaging to your psyche and to your sense of, your, uh, sense of yourself, sense of your spirituality. Everything about it was just a vice on your heart. Yes, because of the tremendous inconsistencies, the hypocrisy of my mother and the hypocrisy of the church, Mm-hmm. And being being a woman in a church, um, not being allowed to speak, having no authority, the whole the whole oppression of being squished that I didn't I had no rights. And no matter what I said or no matter what I questioned, because you don't question evangelicals. So within what so take me through your faith then you've left the church. Um, what happens to you next? You left the church, you've left your family. Right. What happens to your spirituality next? At that point in my life, I was um, very, very depressed, suicidal. If I had not my, met my friend Darlene, I don't know that I would still be here. And, she, and I kept talking about it and talking about it to her. We went for long walks, and she says, well, I don't see what the problem is, because she didn't understand where I was coming from in my upbringing with the church mm-hmm. and how restrictive it was and how it was such a weight. But I couldn't walk away from it because I was raised to believe that was the only answer. I had to accept Christ and if I didn't, blah, blah, blah. So there was no way that I could escape it. I didn't know what to do. So there was some uh, dark time of searching, of wondering. Right, right. And then what happened? I came to Columbine. Came to this church. Yes. So that time of wandering was, was long. Was long. It was a long time. Yes. Years. Because I went to, I went to church. I went to another church and tried it, and it wasn't any different. And then my friend Darlene found the Bible study here, and she started going. And she said, "Kathy, you've got to come to this church. Go to the Bible study." And the first week I was there, I said, "This guy's a heretic." Who me? You were a heretic. Because <laughs> But one of the, the gift that I got from the Bible study and made a, has made a, every difference in the world was that the Bible is not literal. The Bible is specific or helpful, but it is not literal. Every word written in there is not true. And so, because I kept thinking, well, how could I change religions if the Bible says that sodomy is sin and they're going to go to hell? Well, if the Bible is literal, 
then how can I reconcile being gay? I'm not gay, but how, someone being gay, how, if the Bible says it's true? Mm-hmm. And so it was things like that, that were the conundrum that were, was resolved when the Bible was not literal. And it was like a big light bulb went on. And I said, oh, I can still believe things, but I don't have to believe everything. And I can still be a guide in my life. So coming to Columbine was a liberating time for you, an opening time? Yes, because, and it wasn't just the the Bible thing, but it was, we, we were supposed to, the only reason we were Christians was one, we could get to heaven, and one, we could proselytize others and drag them to heaven with us. Um, so here it was, how then shall I live? Why do Jesus loves me, this I know, became my standard line because I didn't believe Jesus loved me. I was just a pawn mm-hmm. to, so he could get me to heaven and I could go be a missionary to the Philippines which I didn't want to do. So what, what did you call it a cult? What did you call your upbringing a cult? Because if you didn't believe in it, you were rejected. You were isolated. You had to believe the way they believed. There was no, there was no other alternative. It was this way or no way. And if you didn't follow it, you were either ostracized or you, you played a game and you pretended to be a Christian to be accepted. Would you call it, like, okay, my term, spiritual abuse, would you call that spiritual abuse? I would say yes. Partially abuse through I, the stand of the men towards the women, I would call that abuse. Um, because you had no rights. You were, whatever they said, you had to do. And, I, and especially in the marriage situation, it was presented that the men had the say and the women didn't dare question. And so that was the abuse of the, of the church. In my family, it was that we had to be good Christians so that my mother would look good mm-hmm. and that we would, all five, all five kids trailer to church every Sunday and, and be the good spiritual people we were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And when my brother became a minister, uh, a Baptist minister, she just, that, that made, her, made her life because she'd finally shown somebody that she was a good enough Christian that she had a son who became a minister. Mm-hmm. What would you tell people who are caught in this type of church? What would you tell them? What advice would you give them? If they're feeling the same kind of tensions that you mm-hmm. were feeling as far as, is this really true? I'm doubting this, mm-hmm. but yet there's pressure to stay with it, to stay in the system. What would you tell someone who's in that place of questioning and doubting? Find one person who thinks outside the box, counselor, friend, Sunday school teacher, whatever, and talk to them about it and explain where you're coming from and have walk with her or that person to explore what about the Bible, what about people going to heaven or hell. Uh, Someone from a a more progressive church Mm -hmm. that's not so locked down into everything. Would you tell them to leave? Their current church? I would, if they could stand it. It's hard. It's hard to leave something that you've been raised in and marinated in, as I say, and then walk away because, in part, I'm walking away from my family and everything my family stood for when I did that. What do you think churches should be 
in, instead of an oppressive, fundamentally evangelical kind of perspective, what should a church be to foster wholeness, spiritual wholeness? Allow questioning. Uh-huh. Allow preaching or teaching that isn't locked in a box that says, think about this or how about this, um, instead of this is what you have to believe to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and not be afraid to let people question and think outside the box along with you mm-hmm. and have classes that say, let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. Because the main thing is you don't ever question as an evangelical. You just have to do it. Have to follow what the yeah, party says. Yeah, have to says. follow what they're saying. Okay. Good. So we're already at our time. That time kind of blew by fast. Any kind of concluding thoughts you'd like to make about spiritual abuse and spiritual freedom in the middle of your life? My growth, um, I appreciate the Bible learning that I got, and I still kind of look back on some of the things that I learned through what I call my pastor's class and and, and everything I learned at Moody. But at the same time, that's the sub-basis or the basement of what I know now about who Jesus is in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I still struggle, and I still say, yeah, right. Um, But it's, I have the freedom and the that Jesus does love me, and that it's it's okay to question. Perfect. Good. Well, Kathy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate uh, your, your uh, taking the time to do this. Let's continue our work together as writer and editor and parishioner and pastor, because I, I really enjoy it. All right, Kathy, thank you. Thank you. You put your hand on the TV screen where old Robert's head is, and up there, right, and right. then... Through the TV screen you were <laughs> And if you really wanted to be blessed, you sent him money and he would send you a handkerchief that he had wiped his brow with. <laughs> That's Honest. a great stewardship. I got to think about <laughs> using both of those things. So, if you want me to pray for you, send me some money and I'll give you a, a hanky. Right. <laughs> yes. A used one. <laughs> a used so. Okay, great. All right, how to get that. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.